Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, that was quick. The NASDAQ 5000 party ended pretty much the day it began. The NASDAQ today was down better than 80 points. We're now at, what, 48.67, and we're leaving 5,000 rapidly in the rearview mirror. The Dow Jones down 332 points. Remember, on last week's podcast, I mentioned that the Dow and uh, the S&P were still up on the year, but ever so slightly, and I thought they would surrender their gains this week. Well, it happened on Monday. Both the S&P, which was down better than 35 points, and the Dow, which closed on the low of the day, down 332, uh, have wiped out all their gains and are now negative on the year. And I mentioned in last week's podcast the outside reversal week that we had in the NASDAQ on the weekly chart where we took out the previous week's high and closed beneath the previous week's low. That is a reversal sign, a very reliable technical pattern. And so far, uh, that reversal is on cue with the big plunge in the NASDAQ today. The catalyst, of course, is the continued belief, thanks to the bogus non-farm payrolls number on Friday with a 295000 Uh, low-paying jobs being created, and the unemployment rate dropping to 5.5%. Everybody now believes that a rate increase is a fait accompli. It's baked in the cake. There is no wiggle room, and so the markets are reacting as they should to a Fed rate hike. They are going down and going down fast. If Janet Yellen is going to prick the bubble, the air is going to come out quickly, and the market's going a lot lower. The NASDAQ, the S&P, the Dow, and not just the stock market, the real estate market, the bond market, they all are imploding. Dollar, of course, making new highs across the board. Euro euro sinking to new, what, 12, 13-year lows? Uh, Rapidly approaching parity. We're now, what, 107, 106 uh, and change on the euro. And it's all, again, because everybody believes the Fed is about to raise rates. Now, Janet Yellen is succeeding beyond her wildest dreams. In fact, it's too much success because she wants to pretend that she's going to raise rates but she doesn't actually want to raise them because she doesn't want what's happening right now to happen. 
because she knows if she raises rates, the markets are going to come way down. We're going to be in a bear market. And the economic data is going to continue to get worse until we are in a recession. Uh, So what Janet Yellen wants to do is have her rate hiking cake and eat it, too, by talking about rates hikes, but not actually raising them because she doesn't want to live with the consequences. Well, now we're having to live with the consequences of talking about a rate hike because Janet Yellen has let the markets assume that they're about to raise rates. And she has not done anything to uh, distract them. I think she has, but, you know, she's going to have to come out uh, and, and actually tell people, hey, the economy's weak. We're not raising rates. Maybe she's going to have to wave that white flag of surrender if she wants to stop the carnage in the markets. And, you know, the, the uh, unemployment numbers, it doesn't really matter about those, right? These non-farm payroll numbers are complete BS, right? All the economic data is negative except for these numbers. And again, I mentioned last week, this is because of other factors that are unique to the jobs market. One being the mass exodus of people from the jobs market. And as all the unemployed people throw in the towel, the unemployment rate comes down. The other thing is the big transition from full-time work to part-time work, which is a net positive for the number of jobs in the economy. So this is a unique period of time where you have so many employers replacing their full-time workforce with a larger part-time workforce. This is what's going on. And then, of course, you have the government with their birth-death assumption just assuming that all these businesses are starting up and hiring people, when in reality, probably businesses are closing shop and firing their full-time workers, which is one of the reasons why we can create 295,000 jobs but only have a net new 80,000 people working right, is because a lot of the people are fired from their full-time jobs because their employer went out of business or whatever, and now they go and get a part-time job as a bartender or a waiter. That is what is going on, and this will continue to happen. And so it continues to really render the jobs data, you know, useless, except that's the only data point that the Fed claims they're looking at. So the markets are looking at that number, and now they're baking in uh, rate hikes, And of course, if we continue on this path, we will be headed to recession. We will have a bear market in the stock market, a bear market in the bond market, bear market in real estate, which of course means the Fed has to do QE4. Now, they they want to delay QE4 as long as possible. So Janet Yellen really needs to do something at the Fed to get the market to think that rate hikes aren't coming. But I don't know how she can do that without showing her hand, without appearing, you know, wishy-washy and inconsistent. So she may have backed herself into a corner, and she doesn't really know how to get out of it. And so the markets are going to continue to be under pressure. You know, the stock market could drop precipitously from here uh, if uh, this idea of a Fed rate hike is not taken off the table by the Fed. And remember, the last time we had a significant correction in the stock market, the only thing that stopped it from turning into a bear market was statements from a Fed governor that QE4 was being considered. Well, they obviously can't say that now without letting the cat out of the bag. So the, 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 uh, the government, the Fed, has nothing to stop the market from imploding. And what else is going on? Corporate earnings are under pressure. Consumer spending is under pressure. Cheap gasoline didn't even make a difference because that's how broke the average consumer is. You know, speaking about how broke the average uh, in American is, uh, the Obama administration now floating a trial balloon on – allowing for student loan debt to be more easily discharged 
in bankruptcy. I mean, right now it's very difficult to get out of your student loans. I mean, uh, it really has to be extreme hardship. So for most people, uh, if you go bankrupt with student loans, you're coming out of bankruptcy with those loans intact. You might be able to get rid of your credit card debt, you know, your auto loans, you know, you can default on your mortgage, but the student loans are kind of, you know, like herpes. They're kind of, they're, they're kind of with you for life, especially if you have a minimum wage job part-time, right? How are you going to pay that, that thing off? But the Obama administration is now talking about, hey, let's allow students to uh, go bankrupt and in bankruptcy discharge their student loans. Now, they haven't released the details of exactly who would qualify, what the criteria would be. But this is a disaster in the making. If this is a trial balloon, it is the Hindenburg of trial balloons because it cannot work. There is a reason that you cannot discharge your student loans in bankruptcy because you could, if you could do it, everybody would. I mean, think about the typical financial circumstance of a college graduate, right? They've been in school for four or five years, right? They don't have any assets. They, don't ha- they haven't had a job. All they have is debt. They have student loans. Maybe they have some credit card debt. Maybe they bought a car and they have auto loan. They have a huge negative net worth. A perfect candidate for bankruptcy. So if you could discharge your student loans uh, due to your you know, financial position, every graduate would do it. That'd be the first thing you would do. After you threw up your, your, your cap in the air and you got your diploma, you would go right to court and file bankruptcy because, after all, you are broke. Most students are graduating uh, insolvent. Their liabilities far exceed whatever assets they have. I mean, maybe they have a used car, uh, but what else do they have? I mean, they've got their college diploma, but that's worthless, especially if they majored in one of the uh, many liberal arts. Uh, and if they went to a mediocre uh, university, I mean, that degree is barely worth the paper it's printed on, uh, but the, the debt is there. So everybody would declare bankruptcy. And of course, if the colleges knew that all of their students were just going to declare bankruptcy and discharge their student loans, well, then colleges would be able to raise their tuition even faster. After all, what difference does it make? If you're going to go bankrupt, what difference does it make what you owe? In for a penny, in for a pound. 50000 100000 a million? Why not? Right? So the colleges would throw in all sorts of things. Uh, students would borrow even more money for even fancier uh, gymnasiums, uh, fancier off-campus housing. Who knows? Maybe eventually all college uh, tuition would come with a, with a free car, although you don't need a free car because when you, you just discharge your auto loan when you go bankrupt too. So all these students would, be, would go straight, straight from college to court and, and default. Now, maybe the Obama administration is going to think about that moral hazard. And they might say, okay, you can't declare bankruptcy uh, the year you graduate. Maybe you have to be in financial straits five years after graduation. Okay, well, now students are going to make sure that five years after graduation, they're broke so that they can declare a bankruptcy. After all, let's assume you graduate and you have $50,000 in student loans. Why would you spend the next five years diligently paying down your student loans and socking money away in the bank so that you, you know, you had five or 10 grand saved up or something and you were too solvent to declare bankruptcy because now you'd still have this big debt. No. What would a student do who knows, hey, if I could just survive for the next five years, but be in lousy financial shape, I can go bankrupt and get rid of this $50,000 student debt 
which beats any savings plan. I mean, what hope does anybody have in saving up the $50,000 with their minimum wage job? So what your typical college grad would do is just make sure they spent every single nickel they earned and they borrowed as much money as they could. So come whatever that calendar deadline is, they're as broke as possible so they can qualify for hardship and having their debts forgiven in, uh, in bankruptcy. Now, I don't know, whatever it is, maybe it's seven years, 10 years, or a certain job that you have to have, that is the moral hazard. There is such a big carrot there when you're waving a carrot over discharge. And of course, the more students borrow, the the bigger that carrot is. I mean, if you have $100,000 or $150,000 worth of debt, well, you have even greater incentive uh, to make sure that you're in a weak enough financial position that your debt is discharged. So the people who borrow the most money Uh, to get the most expensive and worthless college degrees are the ones that are going to arrange their circumstances so that they're broke. I mean, there could be people that just won't work at all. So there is no way to do this without creating the moral hazard of both colleges exploiting the fact that their customers know that they can discharge their loans and so raising tuition even faster and the graduates basically uh, you know, changing their lifestyle uh, to be uh, more uh, profligate, less frugal, so that they don't screw up their ability uh, to eliminate their, their debt in bankruptcy. But the fact that they're thinking about stuff like this, we got $1.3 trillion in student loans and rising rapidly. The taxpayer is on the hook. And of course, if the loans are discharged in bankruptcy, the lenders theoretically still get paid back because the government has guaranteed all those loans, which means the taxpayers, it's a huge bailout uh, for uh, students who have, who have these degrees. You know, the other problem, of course, with the student loan program is so many people are utilizing it uh, to get the loans, right? People are enrolling in college not because they want the education, but because they want the money. But they can't get the money unless they enroll. And a lot of the colleges are online, so you don't even have to show up but you just have to prove you're enrolled and then the government opens up their checkbook and then you get all this money. And of course, if the borrowers know, well, they can discharge it in bankruptcy, you know, all, all the better. Let's, let's, uh, let's back up the truck and get as much money as we can. But I think a lot of Americans are already so desperate that they don't really care that these student loans are going to be with them forever because in the meantime, they just want the money. They just have to, you know, pay, today, pay the rent, pay the electric bill so they're not living in the dark right? They don't want the power company to turn off uh, their power or their heat. They need food, whatever it is. So if they have to enroll in some BS online school to borrow money, they have no hope of ever repaying, they're going to do it because it's really the only alternative they have. And I think a lot of people are using student loans as a lifeline to survive in this economy. You know, if this really was a recovery, this would not be going on. I mean, people have got their head in the sand, looking at these jobs numbers and this low unemployment rate and thinking it means anything. It means nothing. Look beneath the surface to know how weak the economy is. And think about this. If it wasn't for the Fed, if we didn't have 0% interest rates, if we didn't have stock market bubbles and real estate bubbles masking the problem, what if we had to deal with legitimate interest rates? Where would this economy be if we had to pay a normal rate of interest on the enormity, the completely abnormal amount of debt that we all carry? We would have completely collapsed. Where would we be if we had to live within our means? Where would we be if we couldn't borrow all this money from foreigners? Where would we be if we couldn't run huge trade deficits, if we actually had to produce in order to consume? I mean, what kind of standard of living would Americans have? I mean, this whole thing is artificial, and it is almost comical to watch this as you have these traders blindly 
bidding up the dollar, thinking that the Fed's going to raise rates and oblivious to everything else that's going on. I wonder how far the stock market has to fall before it dawns on some of these dollar bulls that the Fed isn't going to raise rates. If we're in a bear market, is the Fed going to raise rates? I don't think so. If the Dow drops 20%, I mean, are they going to you know, basically you know, kick the, the market into groin when it's lying on the ground? Do they want the market going down 50%? Especially when the foundation of the recovery is the wealth effect from the stock market and the housing market. All along, they've been saying, hey, the economy is great. Look at the stock market. What are they going to say if we're in a bear market? And of course, if bear markets are forecasting a recession, if you get a bear market in stocks and now it's like, wait a minute, this is forecasting a recession, what is the Fed going to do? So how long can the currency markets be oblivious to the stock market? as if the Fed is going to sit idly by and watch the market implode. After all, they spent so much time, so much effort inflating this bubble, they're not going to sit idly by while it deflates, even though they think they haven't even pulled the pin out of their pocket yet. They've told people that they're thinking about maybe pricking it, but they're not, not really because they haven't even started thinking about raising rates yet. But now the market thinks it's a, it's a fait accompli because they haven't come out and completely taken it off the table. The markets are really calling the Fed's bluff. And when is Janet Yellen going to blink? Because if she doesn't do it, she's going to have to deal with the effects of a rate hike, even though she hasn't hiked them. Hi, this is Peter Schiff. And long before foreign governments and hedge funds were buying gold by the ton, I urge my clients to put 5 to 10% of their portfolios into physical precious metals. Despite gold's massive rise over the last decade, I still think that a 5 to 10% allocation to gold and silver is a smart investment decision. But buyers have to beware. Big TV gold dealers push all sorts of coins that are poor investments. Bait-and-switch deals, price protection guarantees, leveraged gold accounts. These are just a few of the sleazy tactics used to swindle inexperienced gold buyers. My gold company is different. We never offer a coin or bar unless I consider it to be a good investment. I want my customers to be educated. That's why I'm offering you a free research report exposing the biggest scams and ripoffs in the industry. Download my report classic gold scams and how to avoid getting ripped off for free at goldscams.com. This report tells you everything you need to know about how to avoid losing thousands of dollars with scam gold dealers. It even tells you how to tell if a salesman is lying to you on the phone. This is a must read for anyone considering a gold or silver investment. Download this free report today at goldscams.com. That's goldscams.com. 